because I happened to overhear a Dave Matthews song. Yeah. Is what what actually happened. Yeah, no, I, I read it on Twitter and, yeah. and then Ben called out the song and is a big jerk for doing so. <laughs> Crap. The thing is, there were, I got several complaints from people, and they didn't. They also didn't specify. So there were probably multiple different Dave Matthews songs that different people were having to deal with. Yeah, I know one person had a medley. He said, "Yes, uh, but they, they, yeah, I got I got four or five that were like I got we got you guys saw the one um, favorable comment about it, but apparently Dave Matthews's popularity is sinking rapidly, at least on soccer Twitter." And that's the kind of breaking news you can hear, you can expect from us right here on Filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in to the Filibuster podcast. Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast, I should say. I'm Adam, joined as always by Jason and Ben. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United and more and more the District of Columbia Council, uh, which we will talk about later in the show for what should be pretty obvious reasons. Uh, we're going to talk about MLS Cup, which is coming up this weekend, this Sunday, at 3 on ESPN, I want to say. I actually don't uh, have it in amongst, front of me. Amongst others. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about DC United Stadium news, and we're going to talk about some roster and general awardee type stuff. Before we get to any of that, though, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh, well, I'm going to keep that answer short because I have a, a story to tell after. Um, I am drinking filibuster rye, uh, and since I don't have any clean glasses uh, that are appropriate sized for drinking bourbon, I'm drinking it out of a shot glass. Um, it was that or a pint glass, and I felt like this was slightly more appropriate. You're you're ignoring uh, a, a, another option. If, you're, you if, you're, if your as advice you is to drink, out of the- yes, a tiny sip. If your advice is to drink a pint of bourbon, I've seen where that ends. No, no, no just drink it out of the bottle. Yeah, just take a pull out of the bottle, dude. I guess I could drink out of the bottle. That's a good point. Why wouldn't you? Why dirty glass when you can pull out of the bottle? It's, it's hygienic. True. The alcohol kills all those germs or something. That's what fla- That's how flasks work. Yeah. Uh, but my story is I'm actually making something. Uh, I was um, at Thanksgiving, and I realized, uh, long story short, we were going to do something with the skillet. We did not have the necessary ingredients to do plan A. Uh, I came up with something on the fly where I fried some apples in the skillet, and instead of throwing the apple peels away, I'd read this recipe months ago to take the peels and put them in a jar, cover them with a bunch of bourbon, throw in a cinnamon stick, a couple cloves, and a little nutmeg, and let it all sort of sit and age together for about a week. So that is, I made that on Thanksgiving, so I'm a couple days from being able to open that up. And you're going to bring that over when we watch MLS Cup. Assuming that happens, you're going to bring that over on uh, Sunday, right? As long as it tastes good. I mean, if it tastes bad, then I, I don't really see the point. I choose, are, I choose to not die of botulism. You just said the alcohol kills all the germs, all the pathogens. The apples were clean. I didn't throw rotting apples in there. <laughs> ben Bromley, what are you drinking tonight? So, also on Thanksgiving, I went to... Uh, my hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, and on Black Friday, uh, my wife and I did a brewery tour instead of going shopping because shopping on Black Friday is stupid. And so one of the breweries we went to was called Mad Tree Brewery, and we got I, and we drank some of their Christmas ale called Thunder Snow, and we liked it so much that we bought a six-pack of it and brought it back with us to Virginia. So I am drinking Thunder Snow by Cincinnati's Mad Tree Brewery. Excellent. Love the name Thundersnow, too. Uh, it's a phenomenon when when you actually experience it in in the weather. It is trippy as balls. It's awesome. <laughs> also, it, it trippy no as balls. Yes. Um, I am continuing my, for the last week, uh, my, my homage to New England. Um, all I could find uh, uh, when I went to the store was Magic Hat, which is from Vermont. Uh, their snow roller, Hoppy Brown Ale, is either that or another Sam Adams, which I didn't want to do. So I went back to Magic Hat and, and got their their snow roller, which is not as cool of a name as Thunder Snow is. But we are all revs, so that is what I'm drinking. Yeah, Ma- Magic Hat, I, I I can't recall having a bad Magic Hat beer. Yeah, I've 
I've never had a real bad one. Number nine, I think, is a little overrated. Um, yeah, that's fair. But it's not uh, bad. But it's not a bad beer. Yeah. It's just number nine. Number nine. I, they they also have done some. If you're a fan of Lexington, Kentucky's um, Sixth Street Brewing Company, you don't like Magic Hat because they sent the they they started some legal stuff because the six is similar to the nine on oh. Magic Hat number nine, and so they got the lawyers involved and were. I don't know the whole story, but I know some people who really like who who are from Lexington or Frankfort, Kentucky, and and really are not fans of Magic Hat because of that completely not related to beer uh, event. Anyway, is this a little I bit digress. like Texas A and M uh, suing people over the use of the phrase "twelfth man." Is it? Isn't it them? Yeah, it is. It's, okay. it's Texas. I don't A&M. know college football enough to like half the time I'll just say a college that has a football team of some renown. So that was a step in the dark. <laughs> it's it's A and M, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's I mean it's trademark stuff. Right. Uh, but but there it is. Let's let's move on to actual soccer. Uh, we now know who will be playing in MLS Cup 2014, and it will not be Thierry Henry. It will not be Clint Dempsey. It'll be the LA Galaxy hosting the New England Revolution. Uh, the Revs got there via a four to three aggregate win over the New York Red Bulls. Uh, goals from Tim Cahill, answered by Charlie Davies, and Peggy Lyandula, also answered by Charlie Davies. Uh, game ended 2-2. Two to two. Series, like I said, ended 4-3. to three. Ben, how did you rate the Revs' performance in this one? They, they were heavy favorites to advance after winning 2-1 to one in uh, New Jersey. Did did you expect them to, to sit back and, and wait, or did you expect New York to come out a little a little bit sharper? Uh, how did how did this game stand up to your expectations? I mean, I think it stood up to my expectations fairly well. I mean, I, I assumed that uh, New England wouldn't just sit back and absorb pressure despite having won the first game. Um, but I also knew that a back line of... Uh, Ibrahim Sakaya and uh, Hamasan Alave, despite how good Alave is, was they were going to give up some goals. Uh, and so uh, I was expecting a little bit of a shootout, and we got a little bit of a shootout. Uh, I don't know if I expected Charlie Davies to do all the scoring for New England. I probably thought that Lewin and uh, Teal Bunbury and others were going to do a little more, but it wasn't that surprising to me overall. Uh it wouldn't have also surprised me too much if New York had come back to win that series. So I, it probably did surprise me a little bit that Thierry Henry didn't have more of an impact, but he was pretty dangerous throughout. So Yeah, Henry was honestly one of the best players on the field. Yeah, but he just right. didn't happen to score the ridiculous goal you expect from him. Right. Yes, he, he, he was he was way more effective than Lee Wynn was, for example. Yeah, I, I, I haven't I mean, looked at the numbers, but I expect Henri probably had the most chances created yeah. in that game. Yeah. Jason, Tim Cahill was the obvious choice to start after Bradley Wright Phillips' hilarious yellow card got him suspended. <laughs> uh, he was strong in this game, I thought. he. I did not expect the game to go as well for him as it did, even if his goal was a little bit of a poacher's uh, finish. Yeah, I, I think he's uh, been kind of unlucky that Wright Phillips kept scoring goals all season because I feel like um, his best position in MLS at this at, at this age and this point in his career, his best position is to play as a forward. Um, he His best play as an MLS player has mostly been as a, as a striker rather than in the midfield, which is what he's mar- kind of marketed as. Um he he was definitely a bad matchup for uh, New England because I think I don't think that the Soros and Gonzalez really mind playing against a physical striker, but it's just that Cahill doesn't really post up in one particular spot. He goes a little to the right, a little to the left. He he finds spaces to go to. He doesn't play like a back to goal target forward because he's not really he has the leaping ability, but he's not built like that. Um, so he was sort of a bad matchup for them and. He's also all knees and elbows when he goes into the air. Yeah, he, goes, he also manages to to throw himself around in a way that that borders on dangerous. 
Right, and he gets away with some things just because he's smaller than most people, and most of the time he gets kind of the benefit of the doubt because he goes leaping into people uh, or leaping at the ball. He doesn't jump straight up. He's always attacking the ball from angles, um, which is one of the reasons why he's good in the air. It's not because he's he's a he's got a good leap, but he's not like incredible at it. He's just very good at finding the right angle to attack the ball from. Um, overall, I, I thought. New York did a, a decent job of adjusting, because if you want to have him up front, you have to play a different way. You can't play through balls and keep the ball on the ground like you would for Wright Phillips, because as we saw, Cahill did score a goal, but he also had another finishing opportunity um, that he, he blasted over from a good position. Um, he wandered not, it. Right, and that's not really his, his, his... He's not going to score the same sort of opportunities that Wright Phillips does, so you, you need to give him a little more of a crossing game. They did okay at that, um, but honestly, I, I, I thought it was interesting that New England, for all the praise they got for the decision to play Alston and then move Chris Tierney up into the midfield, I don't know that they necessarily nailed it so much as they took their opportunities well, and that sort of... Um, overcame a, a tactical change that had positives and negatives, like getting Tyranny forward and getting his crossing ability in was a very good thing for them. But at the same time, they also, honestly, they could have easily lost that game. Um, they could easily be out right now. Um, yeah, and so, They lost the ability to kind of play through the middle, and that I think right. having Rowe there instead of Tyranny means that Lee Wynn would probably have, he'd have another outlet in the middle of the field and would probably have been a lot more effective. Yeah, and it, it their tactical change kind of forced them on. It forced them to play on the back heel rather than them choosing to be on the back heel. They ended up sort of forcing them, forcing it on themselves, which is splitting hairs, I admit, but I think it kind of makes sense. Um, but uh, it was their only option that they left to themselves. Yeah, um, and, and it wasn't necessarily the tactical masterpiece. I think that that people were making it out to be during the game. Um, I thought it was something that. Had its had its positives. It also had its risks, and the risks didn't come out today. But in in a game of soccer, you know, one little thing goes wrong here or there, and all of a sudden your uh, risky game plan turns into a stupid game plan. Um, if Tim Cahill buries that that missed chance, I think that was with the score at what was that? It was still one nothing at that point, wasn't it? Wasn't that a first half miss or was that second half? I thought it was second half miss, but second I might half. Be wrong. Okay, well, I mean. If he misses that, or then it would have been a three-one at that point, mm-hmm. um, and that's a completely different series altogether. Um, so I don't think New England did a great job managing the tactics of the game. This this should have been a game where they more effectively killed things off. Um, it shouldn't have been the track meet that it ended up being. It was great for us uh, watching it as uh, people just wanting to be entertained by a soccer match, but uh, it wasn't the most effective way to go about having a an having a lead and having the second leg at home. Um, and I also thought it was odd that uh, New York, the quotes for them essentially were like, no, we knew we were going to concede some goals in this game. Um, they sort of gave up completely on the idea of getting a shutout um, on the road, which, which I mean, you, you go into the game accepting that you might have to, you know, make up for goals against, but I don't think you should just give up on it entirely that, like, oh, it's impossible for us to get a shutout there. We're going to concede. Well, you could tell after... After Davies scored his first, Thierry Henry, or even after, I think maybe even after he scored his second, Thierry Henry was saying one goal is all we need. Mm-hmm. We only need one more. They, I think they came in aiming for two to one, uh, right. giving up just one goal and forcing extra time, which when you have Thierry Henry playing on turf and the best case scenario is a one-week uh, yeah. turnaround or an eight-day turnaround, to MLS Cup uh, 3,000 miles away, that's awfully risky a strategy, and I, I don't know that that was the right call necessarily. I think they, they they either should have gone all out to score three or more or or, or packed it in a little bit more to, to try to keep a zero for a little bit longer. Who knows? Yeah. Out on the other coast, Seattle did exactly what DC United did in their series and won their home leg two to one only to lose. Um, in Seattle's case, however, they lost on away goals two to two aggregate score against the galaxy galaxy go through by virtue of that one away goal. DC United lost on aggregate by a goal. So away goals never actually 
came into it. Seattle, of course, advanced to the conference final thanks to a one-to-one aggregate, which they managed to get through by away goal. So it's only fitting that if you live by the away goal, you die by the away goal. And so it is for Ziggy Schmidt and company. Goals in this one from Brad Evans and Clint Dempsey, both in the first half, Juninho in the 55th minute, and then uh, a wild ride to, to close it out. Ben, at halftime, did you think L.A. was going to pull it off, or did you did you have Seattle basically booking their ticket into the dance? No, I didn't think that L.A. was going to pull it off at all. Their defense looked so bad. Uh, Omar Gonzalez looked bad. Uh, Leonardo looked bad. Jaime Pinedo looked bad. Jaime Pinedo looked real bad. Even though he got <laughs> Dempsey beat him on a deflection, Pinedo was still not inspiring confidence, even they without were, that. They were all bad, and I thought that uh, Seattle could have scored three or four goals easily, but they didn't, and Sarvas pulled one back, and it was the decisive goal. Juninho. Juninho. It was the other central yes, midfielder. you're right. The other Brazilian, <laughs> Juninho. Uh, and, it, and yes, like you said, it was appropriate. Uh, it, this was the only game that Seattle won in these MLS Cup playoffs, and it was the one that consequently sent them out of the playoffs despite their win. So it was fitting in an irony's sake, but I did not expect it at all based on the first half performance. Yeah, neither did I. Um... LA was good to open the game, but then Seattle took complete control for the, the I guess, probably back half of, of that first half. The last 25 minutes or so going into halftime was and all I mean, Seattle. How far do you think right now Omar Gonzalez is from sniffing the national team again? Because he has looked pretty bad in the last couple of months. You mean MLS best 11 selection, Omar Gonzalez? Shut your I, I have no idea how that happened. I, I actually I do. He was on the. I mean, on you the also world. mean third place defender of the year, Omar Gonzalez? Yeah, that's the one. That's the guy. That's the one I'm talking about. I think he, honestly, all he has to do is get back into form because he might be every bit as tired as Matt Beasler and just has a better cast around him to to help him out, which is the case right now. As good as Sporting Kansas City are, they had so many guys not perform up to level this year, whereas in L.A., you have Landon Donovan, who's performing better. You have Robbie Keane, who is in the MVP race. You have Juninho and Sarvas. You have Robbie Rogers suddenly discovering that he really likes being a fullback. You have a lot more happening there than you have in Kansas City for Matt Beasler. And so Beasler's just been hung out to dry so much lately that, that Omar's been able to hide, of all people, next to Leonardo in this one. But, but he also has A.J. De La Garza and occasionally Tommy Meyer to hide next to. So I, I'm with you, but but I think all it takes is an offseason and a little bit of form, and he's right back in the mix. Jason, what stood out to you in this game? Uh, you know, I kind of, um, looking back when Seattle sort of took over the game and, and L.A. was such a mess, um, the Sounders did the did their job and made it made sure they got two goals from that stretch instead of one. It, granted, it took uh, a deflection and also a dreadful attempt at a save from Pinedo, uh, but they got the second goal. And when you have a team like LA on the ropes, you know it's not going to last forever. It's 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 going to be a brief bad period, and they're going to get themselves out of it. Um, and Seattle took advantage. They got the two goals instead of just leaving it at one and leaving you know something on the table. Um, the problem is that it seemed like when Seattle got the second goal, uh, there was a little bit of satisfaction, almost like oh we've we've done enough now. Um, and coming out in the second half, I thought there was still that sort of not necessarily apprehension, but they're just they didn't have the same level of vigor that they did when they when they scored that goal. It really lifted them, and they didn't maintain that for long enough. Um, and LA pulled themselves back together, and all of a sudden, granted, it, it again it took um, some bad luck for the Sounders in that Juninho scored an excellent goal that uh, is the kind of goal that if you have ever played midfield, you kind of dream about scoring a goal like that. Um, but, uh, even though that was his first one this year, that is a goal that Juninho has made his name scoring. Yeah, um, he, he's time. done that a lot of times. Um, 
it is a little bit like the um, Pando Ramirez goal that won them an MLS Cup a few years back. And by a few, I mean like almost a decade. Um, <laughs> the difference being that Juninho is actually good, whereas uh, Pando Ramirez was was not very good. Um, but uh, I also was struck by the fact that, that Seattle kind of wasted their subs, I thought. Alonso wasn't going to last 90 minutes, so making a sub for him made sense. Um, but the decision to bring uh, Pineda out left them with with no option to bring in. Ch- Chad Barrett had like seven or eight goals this season. I mean, I know we, Chad Barrett's kind of the butt of jokes in every MLS city, but he's been effective this year coming in off the bench and scoring goals. Um, you know, Marco Papa came in for like 11 minutes, and that's it. Um, I, I felt like uh, Siggy Schmidt mismanaged those subs. I, if he knew Alonso was going to need a sub, I think you have to leave Pineda in for the rest of the game. Um, whether you bring in Andy Rose for Alonso and that's it, rather than Michael Azero, who doesn't really add anything going forward, um, I think you just make the one central midfield sub, and then you have Chad Barrett, you have Kenny Cooper. Um, you have options off the bench that are better than replacing your two holding midfielders with two other holding midfielders that are slightly more attacking. And then all you've got left is Marco Papa and that's it. Um, they ended the game with um, Chad Marshall playing as a center forward. And mm-hmm. that's, that's an old, you know, that's an old, um, you know, 1980s English uh, sort of strategy. It's sort of something you joke about. Um, it's not something you want to do. You don't want to be in a situation where you say, Oh, let's leave our big center back as a forward and just hoof the ball up to him and see what happens. Um, no one wants to be that team unless you're uh, Frank Yellow. Um, so I, I felt like Seattle really needed to do something else there, and, and they kind of shot themselves in the foot. They waited 74 minutes to make a sub at all, um, which means, I'm looking at my notes, they went, what, 20 minutes between when they gave up the goal before they made a sub. They didn't even – there was no tactical change in there either. There wasn't a switch players. There wasn't – you know, move something around. There was nothing. There wasn't like push Yedlin up and play three at the back. It was just sort of, well, let's keep doing what we're doing. It's sort of like um, if you play football manager and you're not paying attention and all of a sudden, the, you know, the second half speeds along. And um, if you're using the highlight mode, you don't get every second. It just sort of speeds along. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, 20 minutes went by and I didn't do anything and I'm still losing. Um and it's almost like that happened. They they froze up, or maybe Schmidt had too much trust in the guys that were on the field. Um, but they weren't really creating that much during that time. I, I don't think they yeah. were earning reprieve. And uh, I'm sure that Bruce Arena was sitting there thinking, when is, when is something going to happen here? Um, even though he made the interesting sub of um, replacing Ishizaki with Alan Gordon, um, which was... Uh, even though he didn't need to. And, and that was a sub that no. Biggie knew was knew would be coming. He actually said when Monica Gonzalez interviewed him going into the halftime tunnel, he said, you know, we just got to be ready for them to to start throwing more numbers forward. He just completely discounted the possibility of L.A. scoring before garbage time. And he said, they're going to bring in Gordo at some point, and we have to be ready for for his physicality and and everything. So it was nice of the Bruce to make it a little easier on on Schmid by, by making the move that Schmid expected him to make, but didn't necessarily make a lot of sense in the context. And, and it's interesting to watch, and this happens to LA all the time. They don't make complicated subs. They don't send in a player and change their tactics and move up. They all reshuffle a little. Jesse Zardes goes out and plays on the wing. Um, that's what happened here. Zardes went to the right and Gordon went up top. But they don't really change anything else. It's just sort of like, uh, you go over there and, and you go up front and we'll continue doing what we've been doing. But LA's players are so good that that, so that's okay. They don't have to get into a complicated um, changing of roles or anything like that. It's just, you know, let's, you know, make room for Alan Gordon, and uh, that'll be that. And that's sort of the magic of keeping it simple, is that L.A. didn't have to change their tactics or, or switch to a 4-5-1 or whatever. They just they kept doing what was working, and Seattle Seattle didn't force L.A. to do anything else different. It was just... Um, you know, Gordon comes in, he's better in the air, so he's helping defensively on set pieces despite being a striker. Um, you know, he's got fresh legs, so he can pressure a little more effectively. He's leaving pressure on long balls out of the back. He's, right. Yeah. It, it's nothing, there's nothing sim- or complicated about it. You, you know, Bruce Arena or Dave Sarakin isn't talking to Alan Gordon for 10 minutes about what he has to do when he comes in. 
Um, and Seattle really kind of missed the chance to force LA into something where it's like, well, you know, why don't you stretch yourselves a little and, and test the um, tactical flexibility of the Galaxy? They didn't really do that. And as much as New England is not as good in a vacuum as uh, Seattle, I think they're going to pose some different uh, different angles and different challenges that LA isn't used to seeing. So, who you got then, Jason? Do you think New England will be able to test them enough to claim their first MLS Cup title, or will LA be the first of five? Uh, I mean, I, I, I want to predict that the Rebs will win. Um, I do think it's going to be a good game, but uh, ultimately I, I have too many questions about the Revolution kind of going in and out of games, and, and as we talked about, they didn't really manage the New York game, at least for me, they didn't manage it very well. Um, L.A. punishes teams that don't manage games well, so right now I unfortunately think the the if I had to bet actual money, I would bet it on the Galaxy. I wouldn't be happy about it, um, but uh, you know if you're going to be unhappy and betting money, at least you'll win some money in the end. Yeah, sadly I have to That's agree. I think, <laughs> I think Robbie Keane and is gonna rip apart that defense, and and I think Landon Donovan is going to be on for this one, so I, I think LA is going to win. I'm going to be rooting against that. I'm going to be rooting for the Rebs. Um, more against LA than for right. the Rebs, as I've been doing this entire playoff since DC United went out, but as much as I, I don't want LA to become even more intolerable and get a fifth star, I think that's what's going to happen. Ben, how about you? I mean, everything that you, you guys say makes sense, but I'm just going to go with my gut and say that the New England Revolution find a way to pull it out. I they, like you, Ben Bromley. <laughs> they they rain on the parade of Landon Donovan's retirement. They uh, finally get recompense for Charlie Davies not winning Comeback Player of the Year by winning an actual MLS Cup. The Buffalo Bills of MLS actually shed that moniker and actually win a title. <laughs> And I like I mean, it. It's not great. I mean, I don't like the Revs. So. Right. No. No. But but, but it's, it's better than it's two better evils. Better than LA winning anything ever again. I will say this: if um, Juninho isn't fit, um, he came out late with a grabbing at his hamstring. If he's not fit, uh, all of a sudden the Revs start to look pretty decent because without him controlling the tempo of the game, uh, without his. Uh, He's a little bit of a smarter player than Baju Husidic, who's pretty much the only option L.A. has to replace him. All of a sudden, uh, that opens things up for Lee Wynn. Um, so if, if Juninho is in trouble, if he or if he tries to play, that, that might even be worse. If he tries to play, is not able to go, and has to come out early, that would cause even more problems for L.A. than just starting the game with Husidic. Um, oh. so, go ahead, Ben. Oh, I was just going to say also... Jermaine Jones slide tackling Landon Donovan. <laughs> we know that in this playoffs, Jermaine Jones is allowed one potential red card tackle that will not be punished. Um, so it, yeah. I guess we have to figure out who he's going to go after, whether it be yeah, Dr- Donovan a, or somebody else. I think there's a player on every team who gets one of those. For New York, it was a young go. For the Rebs, it's Jermaine Jones. For Seattle, it's Zach Scott. L.A. never really tested it. It's David uh, Beckham. Yeah, it's it's always Beckham <laughs> for him, for them. They 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 burned their their freebie yeah. on on Beckham all those years ago. I, I imagine Beckham if he was watching, he probably didn't watch the game. Who am I kidding? But if he did watch the game, uh, he he was probably sitting there like, why don't they just scissor tackle them and that will stop them from playing? <laughs> That's not. And then someone probably then you was, get you the ball back. I hope actually I hope it was Posh Spice that was like David, you cannot just scissor tackle people. That's not allowed. He's like, no, I, I did it all the time, and Come nothing on. ever went wrong. Look at this video of me and Josh Wolf. It would have been awesome to have one more. Like now that Jesse Marsh is doing those um, analysis videos for MLS Soccer, it would be, would have been awesome for him to have to analyze a David Beckham uh, team. If people remember when Marsh was at Chivas. Uh, Beckham tried to scissor tackle Jesse Marsh, and Marsh ended up like heaving him to the ground. It was it was pretty awesome. Um, that was back when uh, when when the goats were actually a uh, a threat to the galaxy. That was a, it was a brief time, and it might have been a hallucination, but it was fun. 
Yeah, there was a time the Super Classico was actually a decent game to watch. It, it also helped that the Galaxy were not nearly as good as they are now. Yeah, that's true. They, they were sort of not as good, and yeah. Uh, we those were interesting times. We I will say I am glad that the Super Classico is no longer a thing in this country. That was a silly name for a very you did short not name. Once the, the, the Classico of all Classicos? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't quite work out that way. But no. I, I, I do miss Lol Rude Hullet. I'm just going to say. Yeah, that's fair. Let's turn our attention now a little closer to home where we have a stadium update for everyone. Uh, <gasps> yeah, right? And and put put your Zs away because this is actual important news that happened today. And, and we are actually recording on Tuesday this week instead of Monday. I got some inquiries from from listeners uh, today saying, where's, where's Filibuster? Uh, it's not on iTunes. Should I keep refreshing, or or what's the deal? And I had to say no. This the stadium hearing, or this the vote really is what matters. Uh, Although we thank all of you for yes. wondering where filibuster was. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be out on Wednesday morning instead of Tuesday morning this week. I will say there's a long way to go in the next two weeks, the time until December 16th, but a big hurdle has been cleared by the stadium effort. They are now one vote away, essentially, from having the city sign off to to put all the pieces in place to to start on the actual shovels in the ground. Really, there's there's some more things. There's the actual buying the land and the site cleanup and, and the prep before the shovels can actually go in the ground, but but all that is is closer to formality. Um it might add delays, but but we'll we'll see. What happened today? Uh, the stadium bill came before the committee of the whole, which after, the star chamber. Yeah. <laughs> which after lots of uh, discussion among every council member who was in attendance really, uh, had something to say about the deal, and including those we had not heard anything from. We had not heard a single word on this from the likes of Vincent Orange, who now comes out and says, I've been a supporter of, of this plan since the beginning, and I'm really happy to see where it is now, and, and I support it, but here, here are my concerns. It's like, okay, good to know that you have an opinion on this, sir. Thank you for your attention and leadership on this issue. <laughs> It eventually, after all the talk... And after, after all the talk and some Graham standing. Yeah, and Jim Graham, he he's really happy with this deal now. His biggest thing was the Reeves Center being involved, and the Reeves Center is no longer involved. Uh, the bill now authorizes the city to use eminent domain to take Ackridge's parcel on Buzzard Point if they cannot come to an agreement with, with the development company down there. Um, it also basically locks in all the other pieces of the deal other than that. It strips the sales tax abatement that DC United would have received, but keeps the property tax abatement in place, as well as the $2 surcharge on tickets that starts in year 11 of the deal. So uh, things basically got more expensive for fans of DC United and anyone who goes to the stadium because they're going to be paying sales tax from the outset, and that's something that, that customers actually pay. And they're going to be paying a $2 per ticket surcharge. Uh, on everything after the first 10 years. So that that will probably also be passed through to customers. So things got more expensive for the likes of us, but that's something I think most of us are okay with so long as the stadium gets built. And it's cheaper to pay sales tax than to go on road trips to watch MLS games in some other place. Yeah, that's that's very true. And we are now closer to a stadium. The Committee of the Whole, after all the consternation and, and everything, passed it unanimously on a voice vote. It then went on to what's called the consent agenda, which means which is an agenda where everything gets a unanimous voice vote all at once. On so, mass, yes. Yeah, there were several items. There were probably a dozen Dozens, or more. Dozens. Several dozen, yeah, items. Okay. All got passed. We, it's basically a move. We passed the consent agenda. All those in favor, all those opposed, the ayes have it unanimously. That's it. And that's that's how the D.C. United official council vote went today, the stadium vote. And now there's some things to iron out in the next two weeks, but on December 16th, 
they will have what's called the second reading of the bill in front of the full council. And at that point, there will be a final vote on it, whereupon it will be sent to Vincent Gray, the, the current mayor, for him to sign before leaving office on January 2nd. The issue is, and, and this is a big issue, it's, it shouldn't be downplayed how they're going to pay for it. And, and Which was subject to a third vote today. Yeah, which actually came at the end of the committee of the whole session of, of the day before they went to the full council. And it's weird because the committee of the whole is what it sounds like. It's, it's every member of the council sitting in a committee that is not itself the full council. It's, it's a parliamentarian thing. It's very silly but necessary. And what happened today is, is the chairman of the council, who's also the chairman of the committee of the whole, Phil Mendelson, he, he basically resuscitated. He, he pulled up an old supplemental budget that the mayor had submitted this spring. And the mayor has to su- submit a supplemental budget. The council cannot do it on its own. And he said, we are just going to drop all the text that was in that old supplemental budget, put in what we need to pay for this stadium, borrowing $62 million, reshuffling $37 million from other capital projects, and, and calling it a day. Actually, we're also going to take some money from the baseball uh, fund, the tax on local businesses that, that's paying off the baseball stadium debt, and we're going to put that towards the community benefits agreement. In this, a new circulator route, a new jobs liaison for Southwest, and, and a couple other things. And a couple of council members balked at a few items on that list. The mayor said, no, you can't take this shell of a supplemental budget request because I withdrew that in June. It is not, no longer for you. It doesn't exist anymore. I ended it. And here's a stamped copy of my withdrawal notice. And the council says, yeah, we don't have that. It's still in our system. We're doing it. And they voted on it and passed it unanimously on a voice vote. (laughs) So we have no idea whether this is a proper budget or not. Um, To be fair, the general council for the D.C. council, that's council with an E and then council with an I. Yes. uh, He said that the... That the the budget bill before the DC Council was valid in two different ways. So even if they didn't resurrect the old bill, it was still valid if they could bring it up on their own authority. At least according to the council's general counsel. Yeah, we'll see. I think and what Mendelssohn said, Chairman Mendelssohn, he specifically said the point of this is to force the mayor to fund it now yes. because we don't want to wait until the new mayor comes in, Muriel Bowser sits down as mayor and have her submit it. We want to get it done in this council session. And also, it, at the very least, it, this is the mayor and the council each arguing how to fund the D.C. United Stadium. Yes. Not whether if to fund the D.C. United Stadium, but just how to fund it. So, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. And the mayor, after this all happened, the mayor came out and said, I'm working with the mayor-elect, Muriel Bowser, to come up to move funds around now so we don't need a supplemental budget. We can just do it out of existing funds, basically, and existing authority, which may or may not work. Who knows? Um, We have two weeks to iron that out before the final vote, and even then, it might take longer than that, but we are officially closer than ever to having a soccer stadium in the District of Columbia, and I, I'm celebrating right now. I'm not you know, celebrating the end of the process, but I'm celebrating a, a massive hurdle cleared and a giant step forward. That's where I stand on it. And just to add one more thing, I think it was somewhat surprising that it w- all the votes were unanimous. I think that's, that's a big sign that the whole council is behind this, and hopefully there won't be any shenanigans uh, for the final passage on the 16th. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if the final passage, because this was first reading, there's very little consequence to this other than setting up the final vote. I wouldn't be surprised if that final vote had some some no's attached to it, maybe Catania, maybe somebody else votes no on it, Uh, Bowser votes present, who knows. Um, 
Actually, I'd be surprised if Bowser voted present. She's going to want to have her name all over this. Right. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if a few people voted no um, in, instead of passing on a voice vote like it did today. That said, I think, it, I think it'll pass. They just need to finish ironing out these wrinkles and get everything, basically all the ducks in a row, and then we're, we're off to the races. So this is, this is a good sign. Hopefully it's not just one step closer to Lucy pulling out the football. Hopefully we're actually going to kick it this time. <laughs> and with nothing else to add there, let's move on. DC United roster stuff. We don't have any signings or options exercised or, or cuts to, to talk to you about. No Dero leaving the stadium as his poster being, <laughs> being pulled down to discuss this year. Uh, we do have some happy news, though. Ben Olsen is your 2014 MLS Coach of the Year, as voted by the players, media, and clubs of Major League Soccer. Uh, he beat out uh, Greg Berhalter and who was the third name on the list? Ziggy Schmidt. Ziggy Schmidt. Um, I remembered it being somebody I didn't expect to be there, and Oscar Pereja finished fourth right. in the voting. He was not. The way it works is MLS tallies all the votes and then names three finalists, but there's nothing you can do at that point. It's actually set in stone. Their, their three finalists are really just the top three finishers. Right. And then they'll announce the order that they finished in. Uh, on whatever date. So Olsen, we knew was a finalist. He's now officially the winner. He becomes DC United's second ever coach of the year. Bruce Arena won it in 1997. He's gone on to win it a couple other times with the Galaxy. Um, hopefully Olsen wins it a few more times with DC United and not with another club. Uh, also today, MLS announced it's the best 11. As we said, Omar Gonzalez is on it. Two DC United players, they're exactly the two you'd expect. Bill Hamid in goal. Bobby Boswell joins Omar in defense. Um, Chad Marshall, the defender of the year from uh, out of Seattle, is obviously also in there. That's, that's your defensive core. The midfield is Lee Wynn, up for MVP. Landon Donovan, Diego Valeri, Thierry Henry. Uh, I think that all makes a certain amount of sense. Uh, and then the uh, forward core is Robbie Keane, Bradley Wright Phillips, and Obafemi Martins, two MVP candidates and the Golden Boot winner. That that was pretty clear. What I love is that this is... They, they labeled it a 3-4-3, but really, if you look at who's in there, it's kind of a 3-2-5. Right. <laughs> uh, as far as with, the, the with numbers. With two attacking midfielders? Yeah, with no <laughs> defensive midfield to speak of and no... Right. No wing backs or full backs to speak no. of. It's, it is as... It's as, silly. <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly silly. It is as balls out a lineup as you could ever imagine in MLS, even more so than those uh, mid-aughts DC United teams with when Fred was playing as nominally a wing back. Right. Uh, any, any quibbles with the best 11, Jason? Yeah, I think you've got to put some defensive midfielder in there. Um, for me, I think um, Osvaldo Alonso probably edged it, but it's it was it's always one of the toughest um, categories with him and Beckerman. Um, Juninho was really good. Kitchen was really good. Matias Lava in Vancouver did really well. Um, so who do you take but, off? Who do you cut? Uh, Valeri? For me, uh, oh, let me bring up. I, I, I wrote this all down, uh, <laughs> like everything. Looking um, at the list, Valeri's oh, uh, is incredibly good, and he's the most marginal yeah. for me. Uh, the the player I would take off is actually Henri, um, and not because he's a New York Red Bull, but based on the sum total of his 2014. Um, Valeri, uh, Valeri, I feel bad for because he created so many chances. Uh, I think there was <laughs> one game where he created 12 chances, and Portland scored one goal. Holy um, cow. Um, so I, I feel bad for him because... The failures were happening all around him. Uh, it wasn't his fault uh, that Portland didn't make the playoffs. Um, and I also think that um, Omar Gonzalez doesn't really merit inclusion. I, I don't even think he was the best Galaxy defender this year, much less one of the best in the league. Yeah, um, I, I had Matt Hedges against Yeah, I, that's exactly who I was going to bring up. Um, yeah. I feel bad for Matt Hedges. He got... Uh, snubbed pretty hard uh, across the board. And it's, the funny thing is I kept seeing a lot of people that voted in this saying, oh, Matt, well, Matt Hedges should have gotten consideration. It's like, well, did you vote for him? Uh, 
because uh, his vote in the media thing should have been higher at the very least. Um, you know, obviously we've seen with um, Boswell and Chad Marshall that the player vote is radically different from the media and coaching and club vote, um, which is kind of fascinating because then it's it's probably a lot about you know, uh, well I don't like that guy, he's a jerk, right. um, which is completely understandable because I imagine that Bo- Boswell seems to be less polite on the field than Chad. Chad Marshall I think only had one yellow card this year um, and just generally doesn't. Uh, get involved in, in too much, whereas Boswell plays a little more of an edge. So I can see players being like, no, he, that guy's a jerk to me. I don't like him. Um, but Matt, Matt Hedges definitely deserved more consideration than than Gonzalez. In fact, I would say um, there are a handful of guys uh, that deserve more consideration than him. Um, he wasn't even on my – like I have a bunch of players just to keep in mind on my piece of paper, and I didn't write his name down at all. Um, the other thing I would note is no um, – I feel bad for guys like uh, Kubo Torres, um, who managed to score a bunch of goals on a team that created virtually no chances, uh, that played him alone up front. It's like he was put in a bad system for him and given no players that could help him, and he still managed to score a bunch of goals, um, which is amazing. Uh, when you think if he played anywhere else, he probably would have been a Golden Boot contender. Um, and he was for a little while. But but you know this we run into the same problem. Who would you take off of of the team that was named to make room for him? Um, and and that's this year was a weird year where there were so many good individual performances, um, so many players that that deserve some recognition and and didn't get. Javier Morales had a great year and and yeah. no one even talked about him as a snub. Um, uh, Ethan Finley, Fabian Espindola, if if not for Felipe, would have been at least. Uh, in the running to be snubbed, um, but uh, unfortunately had his uh, had, had two months taken away from him by a jerk in Montreal. Yeah. Sometime this offseason we're going to have to do, I don't know if we'll call it the heel team or the, the dirty dozen, because we're going to yeah. include a coach on there. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have a, a post up where we're going to... Is is the coach Peter Vermes already? Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or it, it will be. I'm sure I'll be able yeah. to come up with a couple other candidates that people right. can on. But but we're going to put together our our heel team of just MLS jerks. Eleven Felipe's. The guys that you don't like. You can't exactly. just vote for Felipe. You have to vote for other the, players. There will be eleven different guys on the field in Peter Vermes coaching. Just pretend is, that some of them are Felipe. <laughs> can Beckham be one of them? I think I'm going to restrict it to current MLS what, players, what but we, Beckham will be the owner of the team. Yeah, team owner. Uh, but then there are, <laughs> there are a few other team owners that are not uh, particularly likable, uh, depending so, on your, your political viewpoint and or if you don't really like what they have to say on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Loudmouth and unlikable, I, I consider two different things. Right, so. right. Yeah. All right, let's 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 turn our attention back to right. DC United. Congrats to all the members of the Best Eleven. Um whether they're on the, the heel 11 or not, um, especially Boswell and Bill Hamid. Uh, speaking of Hamid, he's he's next up in our roster review series, Cake or Death or whatever stupid name Ben gave it last week that I'm not dignifying. Coat or Fox. I do not recognize that. Do not recognize that, sir. I want to go back to the awards for a sec, though. Okay, fine. Because uh, it surprised all of us. Uh, the comeback player of the year was also announced today, and Chris Pontius got fourth place, which none of us expected, because he was he came back from an injury in this very current season. So just congrats to Chris Pontius for getting fourth and actually beating out uh, Stefan Fry in the uh, players' voting by a rather large margin. Yeah, and and congrats to to Charlie. Fry didn't come back from anything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, congrats to to uh, Stefan for to to Charlie Davies, who finished second in the voting, and, and Rodney Wallace, who won the award. It, it Both of them are former D.C. United yeah. guys, of course. Yeah, it was, so. it was interesting that, that after all these years of D.C. having uh, good candidates on the roster for Comeback Player of the Year and not winning it, uh, it took multiple former D.C. players elsewhere getting a chance at it. And Stephen Fry and his hair. Yeah, it's... Awful, it's awful, awful hair. It's a silly maybe, award with Maybe silly that's voting. what he's coming back from is his current haircut. He has to recover from it every single day. I don't know. Bobby Shuttleworth has him beat there, I think. Ooh. He's I don't got know something. About that. He's got Shuttleworth something. Is bad. I don't know. I think I Shuttleworth has been bad for long enough where it's like I'm just used to his hair now. I've just come to accept that it's going to be there when I see the revolution play. Whereas Stephen like Fry 
has developed his hair over the season. Well, he changes it every now and again. He he's yeah. trying to be he ties on it. Subtle work, just he's like, this is a he's, good look for yeah, me. I'm sticking. His line in yeah, his line in the sand is this is what I, this is my hair and this is what's happening. His, his line in the sand is his line on his part. Yes, bad. He just decided to be the complete opposite from Matt Reese. <laughs> mm. No, that would have been Marinay Fellaini. That would have been a, a full on throw. <laughs> Which you don't see him on goalkeepers. You only see him on the occasional field player. I want to see a keeper with a giant fro. Tim Howard with a fro wig? Yes, that I want to see. Maybe there's something in the fraternity of goalkeeping coaches where they're like, no, that's no good. (laughs) Shave it off. Yeah, no good. All right, back to the the season review. Bill Hamid, as close to 100% lock for for cake as you're ever going to get, so I'm not even going to ask you guys. Samuel Inkum was up next. We know he's probably going to be protected on the expansion draft, and he will be back next year. Jason, if you had your druthers, would you keep Inkum this this winter? Uh, I would. I think there's a lot of of talent there, and I think it's he does need to adjust to the team a little more. Um, he'll have to change his style of play a little bit to fit the system. But I think when you have a player of his talent level at his age, you you've also got to adjust to him a little bit and find a way to get him into a role that he can succeed at. And uh, we don't have too many guys that have his skill set, and he kept getting assists. I mean, some of them were in the Champions League against teams that are USL pro level, roughly. I, I think the kickers actually could have gotten out of that group, quite frankly. Um, but uh, that doesn't really matter. I mean, you've, you can't blame someone too much for getting assists against teams that you're better than. It, you know, you still got to get the assists, and he was doing it. Um, so, so I say, uh, pretty enthusiastically, I say go. I hate you so much. <laughs> I I agree. I I would like to have him back. I think he his he needs to learn how to defend one on one a little bit better uh, because we are going to have a log jam at wide midfield, and I don't think he'll be able to break through there. Whereas there's a chance that Sean Franklin can move out to the left if depending on what happens in the expansion draft, and Incum could line up at right fullback. I think that is a more likely position for for him to be helping the team barring some some catastrophe at wide midfield for us uh so i'd like to see him improve that but yeah obviously cake for me ben yeah obviously goat i mean he (laughs) yeah i mean he's obviously he's going to be the one international protected and i think we didn't get enough view of him this season so i think he can play at uh, right fullback. He can play at right midfield. Who knows if he can play on the left? Who knows if he can play elsewhere? So, I, yeah, I think you have to keep him around and see what will happen next year with a full preseason. I mean, that's what they always say about uh, midseason acquisitions is with a full preseason, they're going to get even better. So I hope that uh, MLS stereotype holds true. One guy who did not benefit from a full preseason this year was Jared Jeffrey. He's next up. He came in midseason last year, was an obvious improvement in uh, D.C. United's central midfield on what was the worst team ever. But this year didn't see much of the field. When he did come on, it was often in as, as a sub or in Champions League games against lower opposition, and he still didn't look great. He's kind of in an uncomfortable position for him. He's much more a defensive midfielder who likes to be behind the play rather than uh, a, a more advanced central midfielder, let alone uh, a central attacking midfielder. Just a, He's not even a really a box-to-box guy as much as he's a defensive midfielder. Ben, do you want him back next year? I mean, I voted... Goat on the website, but this is one of those opportunity cost things where if you think you can if you think you can find somebody better to replace him, then yes, go and do it. But at his price point, at his age, I'm gonna he's not super young, but he's young enough. I don't know if you're gonna find any better with those two uh, factors involved. So since there is no meh, because we emphatically say you must pick a side. I go ahead and give him goat. Jason, what do you say? Uh, I think Ben's pretty much on the money there. It, it's a, it's an interesting issue um, with how to use Jared Jeffrey because I think 
in a three-man, any sort of three-man central midfield, he becomes a lot more interesting uh, for United's purposes. But we don't play that way. We play 4-4-2. And um, if we were to switch to, like, a diamond and give it, provide a deeper role for someone, it's going to be Perry Kitchen. It's not going to be Jerry Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. So you start to run out of places to put him um, in the two most likely ways that Olsen has tried a diamond in every single season he's been coach. Um, and then it doesn't take, and he switches back to 4-4-2. Um, I don't think we're about to see a switch to a 4-3-3 or anything like that. Um, I think if some team comes around with an offer for him, um, especially if it's in the Western Conference, I'd be pretty interested in hearing them out. But uh, that doesn't mean that I would be calling people up and saying, hey, do you want Jared Jeffrey? I would you know, let them make the first uh, offer and, and see if you can get something that you didn't expect to be able to get. Um, so as is, I would say uh, GOAT, but, uh, you know, next week there might be a change in things. We might sign somebody, and all of a sudden it starts to look more like Fox. <laughs> I do not agree with your word choices, but but I'm with you in, in substance. I, I, I will say, though, that if United is looking at making a trade for somebody this offseason, he makes a lot of sense as potential trade bait just because he is such a small hit on the cap, and he he has experience in Europe, he has experience with the youth national team here in the U.S., and and he showed that he, he's got some skill and he's got a good role to play in the right team. So I, I would not mind United shopping him around. Excuse me. Still recovering from, from a cold. So I, I would say keep him around because having flexibility is good having a backup for Perry Kitchen if we do shift formations is good, and and barring some other change, give him cake. The most polarizing figure on the team and in this series is up next. That's Eddie Johnson. He Last I saw, he was the, the no votes, the, the death votes, the river votes, the fox votes, whatever you want to call them. They were a little bit ahead of, of the whatever the other affirmative side is. Goat. It's goat. It's and not goat. missed it. It is not goat. <laughs> whatever it is, it's not that. <laughs> it's yes, it's life, it's cake. It is certainly not... Or goat. ...some cloven beast. <laughs> I come down in the side of, of cake on this one. Uh, I think, especially with the way EJ closed the season... Um, he he finally kind of found his rhythm. He accepted his role in the team. He started working a lot more. He kept his mouth shut. He he figured out exactly what he needed to do both on and off the field. He finally adjusted. And I think next year he could be in for some good things, whether it's as a starter or as a backup. I think he's a DP, but he's a reasonably priced DP. And teams have done very well with DPs sitting on the bench. Teams have won championships with DPs sitting behind non-DPs at the forward spot, no less. So I I would not mind having him back here at all next year. Ben, what do you say? I mean, I basically agree. Um, I think that there's a definite chance that he could improve over next season, uh, it, it going into next season. And even if he doesn't, you have to find somebody to replace what he did this season. Uh, he had six goals. Six goals? Six yes, MLS six. goals and then two in the Champions League. Yes, and then a couple of assists. Uh, he provided some good hold-up play. And if you're going to get rid of him, if he if you leave him exposed and he gets taken in the expansion draft – that's a, that's a non-trivial amount of production to have to replace. And I know that people are thinking that Michael Seaton, for example, could come in and provide that. There's there's no guarantee. I mean, that would be great if he could, but there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. And there's there's definitely no guarantee that Connor Doyle is going to be able to do that. I think I, it's closer to the opposite on Connor Doyle. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he is much closer to defensive center forward than anybody else on this team. Um, so if you, if EJ is no longer here next year, that's a big hole uh, on the forward line. Uh, even with this year, him being as controversial as he was, 
I mean, you're going to expect that he's going to at least replicate that performance next year. And so, if you get rid of him, you've got to find you've got to bring in somebody else who could echo that. And if they're not looking now, they may not be able to find somebody outside of the team to be able to do that. Jason, uh, I think I think you guys are making good points, and and I'd also uh, to to kind of pile on to the production argument. Uh, I, I would like people to remember Hamdi Salihi and his eight goals um, leaving, and then United did not replace him with anyone. Uh, and we all saw, I mean, that wasn't the only reason 2013 happened, but it was in there. It's one of the reasons not having uh, a guy like that to score some goals. I actually think Salihi would have done better on the 2013 team than he did on the 2012 team, which is another story altogether. Um, but but with, with EJ, I mean, the second half of the season, he was... He scored as many goals as Luis Silva did once you throw in those cha- the Champions League. Um, and we've seen uh, Silva be streaky. We've seen Espindola be streaky. Uh, Silva has had a few injuries here and there. Espindola has had a few injuries here and there. I don't think he's ever played 30 games in a season. Um, so it's not like we're going to just have t- those two start every game next season. That's an unreasonable expectation. Um, so for all those reasons and the fact that when Johnson is on, he's almost unplayable for a lot of teams in MLS. He's he's as good or better than other the opposing center backs in the air, and the guys that can match him in the air, he's faster than on the ground. Um, other than maybe Hamas and Olave, and Olave's 34 next year and has a bad knee, so um, you'd expect Eddie Johnson to win that battle next year too. Um, and, and yes, there are, are the optical issues of seeing him gesticulate to his teammates and there are times where you have to watch. You have to sort of accept that he's going to make a decision not to make a run, and then the play would have been there had he made the run. Um, I didn't put this in uh, the piece that I wrote about him today, but uh, the, we said that we saw the same thing out of some other United players. Uh, Jaime Moreno used to pick and choose when he was going to run and when not. Uh, the difference was that Jaime Moreno had built up years of goodwill and become a club legend when he really started, once he was in his 30s, you know, the chances of Moreno making a run uh, were a lot lower, and he would decide to join the midfield on that attack instead. Um, Johnson came here with a different reputation. He did not have that goodwill built up. And I mean, there were certain people that didn't want him here and were angry at him. There's a guy that sits near me at every game that would basically just yell angrily at Eddie Johnson anytime he was not scoring a goal. Um, and there are some people that are going to be like that forever, and, and there's nothing that we can say here that's going to change that. Um Overall, I think he's a player that, that should definitely be kept aboard because I don't know what United's going to do to replace him um, with a similar type of player, with a similar quality of player. Uh, his experience is good. Uh, even the one the one time where it looked like he might get in trouble with his teammates when he said that he didn't feel that they were as good as the Sounders teammates, um, that sort of blew over. That, did, that didn't become a long-term thing. Um you didn't hear it. You didn't see grumbling. You didn't see the rest of the team avoid him um, or or make a point of not celebrating an Eddie Johnson goal. Um, so I think for for all those reasons, it's hard to to argue that United's spotty record internationally uh, should be risked on getting rid of Eddie Johnson and then finding a, a new Eddie Johnson from somewhere else. Um, I don't think that's where we should put our foot back in that pool. Uh, just yet. I don't think that's the role. or the, It shouldn't be that important of a player to the team is what I'm getting at. Um, so for all, for all of those reasons and more, I'm, I'm going to have to go with Goat. All that said, if Dave Casper has a line on somebody who would replace Eddie Johnson, because we all expect EJ to be exposed in the expansion draft, which means his home state, Orlando right. City, could could very well take him, and, and who knows, Jason Christ might might even go out on a limb and, and select him. So there's every possibility that, that as a reasonably priced DP, he could be gone. Um, I don't, I wouldn't expect that to happen just because they have their DP dollars focused in on, on bigger names um, from European markets, but you never know. It's, it's hard to game out expansion drafts. Right. Um, so hopefully they, they have at least some irons in the fire when it comes to finding a replacement, unless they plan on protecting him, 
which, who knows, maybe Ben Olsen will do that. That's it for us this week, unless you guys have something to add on the way out the door. Nothing? All right. Yeah. Thank, thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're at filibusterdcu on Twitter, at blackandredu for the main site. Send your hate mail to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. We are probably other places that we don't even know about at this point. Most of all, when you're watching MLS Cup this weekend, tell a friend about us. Um, we are going to try to have our MLS Cup not a play-by-play spectacular again this year. We'll see if that works out. Uh, so for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.